This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We thank you for tuning in to watch. Today our discussion is going to center around this question, what will your answer be? What will your answer be? I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on our telecast, we're going to be continuing to offer the free Bible correspondence course, and we want you to, to have the course that you might know how to receive the free Bible correspondence course. Why don't we pause for just a moment? To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. One of the interesting ways of studying the Bible is to study questions, questions that you find in the Bible. And we want to look at a question that is found in the Bible in the book of Job, chapter 31, and verse 14. What then shall I do when God rises up? And when he visits, what shall I answer him? If you happen to use an English Standard Version, rather than saying when he visits, it would say when he makes inquiry. What shall I answer him? You and I are living between the two visits of the great God of heaven. One of those visits is a matter of history. You see, our Lord has been on this earth before. He came into this world for the purpose of being the Savior of the world. In John 4:34 Jesus said, "My meat is to do the will of him that sent me." He was sent into this world. But he's going to come back someday. He made that promise. In John 14 he said, "Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you." I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that, that where I am, there you may be also. So you see, we're living between those two visits, and one day our Lord will come. There's no way that a person can predict that coming. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, 4 and verse 35, Jesus said of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. There is no one who knows when Jesus Christ is going to return. But when he returns, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. 
In John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So when Jesus comes, the dead are going to be raised up. And then men will appear at the judgment. There's going to be a judgment. It's appointed unto a man once to die, and then comes the judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all of His holy angels with Him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So you see, when the Lord comes, we're going to the judgment. Romans 14 and 12 says, So that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 reads, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're headed to the judgment. There have been a lot of great days in the history of the world. It was a great day when God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It was a great day when God made the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the planets in the universe. It was a great day when Jesus Christ was born. It was a great day when Jesus was crucified. It was a great day when he was resurrected. But the greatest day in the history of the world is going to be the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns and men appear in the judgment. That's going to be a very solemn scene when men appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Now for that person whose life has been in harmony with the will of God, who has had their sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb, who have been walking in the light as he is in the light, according to 1 John 1 and 7, that's going to be a glorious day for that individual. Because when they stand there before the judge of all of the earth, he will, they will hear him say, Well done good and faithful servant. But that's not going to be the lot of every individual. It's going to be a sad time for some because they will stand there unprepared. Can you imagine an individual standing in the judgment unprepared to meet God? And you're called on to give an account of yourself to God. The question is, what shall I answer him? What am I going to say on that occasion? That's a serious thing. It was Daniel Webster who said that the most serious thought that he had ever entertained was the thought of God and giving account to God one day in the judgment. And that's a serious thing. And, and we need to give more thought about what shall my answer be? You, you know, as a preacher of the gospel, I need to ask that question. What's my answer going to be? 
How am I going to answer on that day for how I preach the gospel and what I have said? I will answer. Suppose I've not been preaching the counsel of God. Suppose I've been preaching my opinions, my ideas, my theories. How am I going to answer to him? Friends, it's a serious thing to be a preacher of the gospel. It's serious work. It's not child's play. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. But in verse 1 of that same chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. You see, we need to preach the word with the second coming of Jesus in view. We need to preach the word with eternity in view. And then that will cause me to be careful about what I say. I will be careful about what I say if I preach with eternity in view. I would want to preach nothing but the truth of God by keeping eternity in view. You see, I do not have the prerogative. I do not have the right. I do not have the privilege of taking the Bible and changing the Bible to suit myself. I do not have the right to take the Bible and have some theory that I've got in my mind and try to twist and turn the Bible to make it fit my theory. That's not Bible preaching. The only thing that I have a right to preach is the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark 16 and 15. And it is that gospel that is to be preached that saves the world. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Every sermon I preach should be with eternity in view, with, with an accounting to God of what I have preached. There are those now who want to change the Bible to suit themselves. God may say something quite plainly, and then they want to discount the inspiration of the Word of God. In Galatians 1, 8, and 9, Paul wrote, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached. Let him be accursed, as I said before. So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. There is an anathema upon that man, that individual, who would preach anything other than the plain, simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, without addition and without subtraction. You see, we don't have the right to add to it. We don't have the right to subtract from it. In Revelation, the 22nd chapter, Verses 18 and 19, John, at the close of the book of Revelation, had that in mind. When in verse, in verse 18 he said, I testify to every man 
that hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto the things that God, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. If a man takes away from the Bible, if he adds to the Bible, he does so at the imperiling of his soul. In 2 John verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So we need to abide in the doctrine of Christ. I have the responsibility of preaching only the message God has given me. That's what, how Micaiah felt in 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, and in verse 14. He said, whatever God says to me, that whatever God speaks, that's what I'm going to speak. What God says is what I'm going to say. And today, we need to speak where God speaks. That's what 1 uh, Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 means. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I need to tell men and women that are on their way to eternity what God says. So I need to be careful what I say. But I also need to be careful how I say it. It's not enough just to preach the truth. I must preach the truth with the right attitude. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love. And we need to love the souls of men and women, boys and girls. We need to reach people with the love of the gospel. And we need to speak it in a way that people will be attracted not to the speaker, but they will be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And when we lift him up in Scripture, when we lift him up by preaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, men are going to be drawn to the Lord and not drawn to the preacher. I don't want people to be drawn to Brother Lambert. Absolutely not. I am not your Savior. Jesus Christ is your Savior. And men need to be drawn to Jesus Christ. So when the Lord rises up, when he comes back again, what am I going to say as a preacher? Have I preached the gospel as God would have it preached? Have I only preached what God has given me as a message to preach? Or have I changed it? Have I altered it to suit myself? Sometimes a preacher will come across a passage of Scripture and he'll say, well, I just don't agree with that. Here's what I think it really means. Well, he's just changed the Word of God. Or he'll come to some passage, and if he knows it's a little bit controversial, he'll just skip over it and go on to the next verse. He has changed the message of the gospel. And so what shall my answer be? There may be some of you watching right now that are leaders in the church. It might be that you're an elder. might be that you're a deacon. How are you going to answer to God? You see, being a man who serves as an elder in the Lord's church, that's a serious responsibility. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves as they that must give an account. We will give an account whether or not we have submitted to their leadership, and they will give an account as to how they have led the church of God. 
It's a serious thing for one to lead. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 reads like this, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Elders are to take the oversight of the local congregation where they serve. And in, the in a local church, there ought to be a plurality of elders who take the oversight of the church that is among them, not the oversight of a church that's down the road somewhere. You see, we have a responsibility to take care and to tend and to nurture and protect the flock of God which is among us. There may be some of you serving like that. You are to be an example to the church. We're to be in samples to the flock or examples to the flock of God. We ought to be able to say to the church, you follow what we're doing because we're trying to follow the Lord. And I do not believe that, that uh, an elder ought to have a habit that he could not recommend to the weakest member of the church. He is to be an example, example in faithfulness, an example in the reading of the Bible, Example in his prayer life. Example in soul winning. Example at home. He's to be a good example to those that are following him. It might be that some of you serve as deacons in the church. I remember having a, a teacher in school. He was a Greek teacher. And, he, and, and one day he described and dis, uh, the word deacon to the class. And he said, if you go back and break it down in the original language, it means he, he who stirs up dust. That, that is, he's so busy that all you can see is a trail of dust behind him. A man who serves as a deacon should know his business, and he should do it well. Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And there are men who serve as deacons who do such a splendid job in their uh, serving in their capacity. And they are the backbone that helps the church to grow. What kind of a deacon are you? When the Lord rises up as one who's tried to be a leader in the church, what are you going to answer him? How are you going to answer as a parent, as a father, and as a mother? We had someone visiting in our service just yesterday on the Lord's Day. And he works with young people. And he and I were talking after the service was over. And he was lamenting how many homes in America have children where there are not sufficient parents in that home. There are so many homes in America where there's not the father in the home. Some do not have the mother in the home. And in some cases, they have neither. That is, the children have been left alone for many, many hours during the day to make out for themselves, and that's lamentable. And I remarked to him, I fear that in so many ways we have a lost generation. And he said, I agree with that. 
And we've got to do everything that we can to redeem the time. We've got to do everything that we can to fill the gap in, in the home today. And so I'm, going to, I'm asking again as a parent in the home, what kind of an answer are you going to give to God on the day of judgment for the, what you've done as a parent, as a father, as a mother in the home? It's a serious thing to bring children into the world. In Genesis 4 and 1, Mother Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. He was a gift of God. And we have the responsibility for the moral, ethical, and the spiritual training of those children. You cannot give that responsibility to the school. You cannot give that responsibility to the church. You cannot give that responsibility to the government. It is the responsibility of every father and every mother to bring those children up right. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 and 4, in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. And it is sad that there are men who will father a child and then never turn his hand to help bring that child up in this world. And it's making it difficult for children to live right and to become good citizens in this country. And as a rule, what it does, they just will continue to perpetuate that same thing in their life. How are you going to answer as a parent? In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Moses told Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind. The word which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt talk, uh, and, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, when thou walkest by the way. And they shall write them as a sign upon thine ha hand, and, and as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Moses told ancient Israel, to love God, the only God there is. We live in a day where people believe in all kinds of gods. We live in a pluralistic society where, some, where people will say, well, you have your God and I have my God. My friends, there's one God. And we need to teach our children there is one God. Secondly, we need to teach them to love God. We are told to love that one God with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And do not expect your children to love God if you don't love God. Well, what does that mean to love God? This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. And so you need to teach your children to love God and to obey Him. And third, we're to teach our children the Word of God. The Word which I commanded you this day will be in your heart. You see, you cannot teach what you do not know. I learned a long time ago, early on in preaching, that I could not preach what I did not know. Someone asked me one day, Brother Lambert, how do you learn your sermons? I said, well, I just take the Bible and I put it under my pillow at night and I sleep on it, and in the morning it's all in my head. Someone says, they say, oh, you know it's not like that. I said, no, it's not like that. I have to study to preach. 
and you cannot teach your children what you do not know. And we're to teach our children the Word of God. You make a mistake when you neglect the teaching of the Bible to your children. And you need to teach them to adhere their lives and conform their lives to His Word. And if you bring your children up like that, you teach them that there is a God, you teach them to love God, you teach them the Word of God, you teach them to obey God, then when they leave home, you don't have to worry about the kind of a life they're going to live. You've given them a foundation for life. Oh, they're going to be tempted just like you as a parent are tempted. They're going to be imperfect just like you as a parent is imperfect because there are no perfect parents and there are no perfect children. But we need to do a better job in bringing our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Their welfare is in our hands. And when you stand before God in the judgment, how are you going to answer? As a parent, as a father, as a mother, and as one who needs Jesus, how are you going to answer? On that day, you say, well, I'll argue my case. You're going to lose. I'll give some excuse. You're going to lose. I want to urge you right now to become a New Testament Christian. And the way you become a New Testament Christian and to be prepared not only to live a happy, abundant life now, but be prepared for eternity is become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. John 3, 16. John 5, 24, John 8, 24, all of those verses are telling us to believe in Jesus Christ. Then we to repent of our sins. The Bible teaches that, Acts 2, 38. And then as a penitent, confessing believer in Jesus, we're to be baptized because our Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And then once you're baptized, you, you worship the Lord every Lord's day, Live the Christian life seven days a week, and one day when you stand before the Lord, you'll hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. In the closing moments of our telecast today, let me give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, let me encourage you to pick up the telephone, call for the free Bible course, or if you prefer, you can take it online. We want you to have the opportunity of studying the Bible. I want to thank you for watching. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus, and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, 
Write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1 877 711 5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.